Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through that illusion of separation. And I trust something you hear in this next hour may radically shift the way you think about the mind-body connection. Throughout history, up until present, many cultures have traditionally experienced the effects of verifiable healings and other mysterious phenomena. These effects, many of which were elicited by unscientific means, were brought about by the beliefs and lore of the culture. Even today, pharmaceutical companies are double and triple blind randomized checked in all of these studies in an attempt to try to exclude the power of the mind over the body. Today, we are going to explore all of this mind-body connection and what is this placebo thing we're talking about. We're going to explore the history, the science, and the practical applications of this so-called placebo effect to demystify and also to show us how we seemingly can implement the impossible and make it possible. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential self as I introduce our guest Dr. Joe Dispenza first caught the public's eye as one of the scientists featured in the award-winning film, What the Bleep Do We Know? Since that movie's release in 2004, his work has expanded, deepened, and spiraled in several key directions, all of which reflect his passion for exploring how people can use the latest findings from the field of neuroscience and quantum physics to not only heal illness, but also to enjoy a more fulfilled and happy life. Dr. Joe is driven by the conviction that each one of us has the potential for greatness and unlimited abilities. Dr. Joe is a chiropractor, researcher, teacher, lecturer, corporate consultant, and New York Times best-selling author. Welcome, Dr. Joe. Well, I'm very happy to be with you, Dr. Julie. Mm, I'm really happy to have you here, and um, we, there's so much we can talk about because your body of work is so extensive, and I can't wait to dig in and see where our conversation goes. But first, Dr. Joe, we have a traditional question here on the show, and I like to kind of set our conversation into this bigger meme, into this theme, and so I want to ask you if you can share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Hmm. Well, uh, if you understand that the very nature of subatomic particles is really when you get down to the very fabric of what makes them up is pretty much energy and consciousness, thought or information and light or frequency, uh, then, uh, we can begin to realize that there is a field of intelligence called the quantum field that connects or unifies all of the principles of nature. And since we are made up of oscillating, vibrating particles 
that are an extension of this field or a lowering of vibration into density, then we're not excluded from that phenomenon. So if we're all made up of atoms and molecules and chemicals and cells and tissues and organs and systems that make up the body, then our senses at times fool us into believing that we're separate uh, from the very nature of who we are as human beings. And I think one of the key elements is that when we live in survival and living in survival and living in stress, and stress is when your brain and body are knocked out of homeostasis, when your brain and body are knocked out of balance, we tend to mobilize enormous amounts of energy for some threat in our external environment. The very chemicals of stress heighten our senses. We begin to define reality with our senses, and we become materialists focusing on objects and things and people in our outer world. And that creates the illusion of separation. But when we start to create more elevated states of mind and body, more elevated emotional states too, more heart-centered states, um, we tend to feel more connected to something greater. We're connected to that unified field of intelligence that governs all of nature. And so when we're in this state, we tend to focus on immaterial. We tend to focus on possibility. We tend to focus on abstractions and ideas and visions that are really, we can't experience with our senses in the present moment, but they are a potential that exists in this quantum field. And so when we're living in stress and living in survival, we're drawing from this invisible field of vitalistic energy surrounding our body and turning it into chemistry. And the field around our body shrinks. And I think that's when we become more matter and less energy, more particle and less wave. And the ultimate outcome of that is we try to control and force and predict outcomes in our lives because we're matter trying to change matter. Elevated states of mind and body really cause us, feel, cause us to feel connected to something greater. And it is that kind of sensibility of wholeness or integration or coherence or oneness that is our natural state of being. And um, turns out that you can teach people how to do this and sustain those states. So then when you realize you are part of something greater, you are part of the whole and you're, you're an extension of this field of intelligence, then for the most part, we are all expressions of this field. And uh, when we stop being selfish because of the hormones of stress and become selfless, I think we start to emulate more of the divine qualities of the field. Mm. You know, that response, I, I get a lot of responses on this show, and that response was unique in in a way that um, you really did a, and you're always good with words, and I, I love to listen to vi- you on video or, or on stage because you, you are an excellent speaker, so thank you for that. But this response um, helped us see that the constriction versus and and fear that brings us in really ties that to the matter. I've never heard anybody speak of that before, which really helps us look at this, the whole issue of, of matter and energy. So thank you for that. That was really helpful. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. So you are a master at using science to help people really understand a lot of these spiritual principles and 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 consciousness and bringing all of that spirituality, consciousness and and science together. Thank you for that gift that you have. So more 
than just this personal manifestation and gain of what we're used to with this law of attraction. Why is this important? Now, we're going to get into healing in a second, but why is it important for us to really understand these concepts and principles that that you're teaching about? Hmm. Well, I think that science is the contemporary language of mysticism. I think science is the best way to demystify the mystical. And if you combine a little quantum physics with a little neuroscience and a little neuroplasticity and a little neuroendocrinology and a little psychoneuroimmunology and epigenetics, all of those latest sciences point the finger at possibility. And I think that the moment you start talking in convention or tradition or religion, you divide an audience. And I think science creates community. And I think science unifies. But this is an age of information. And in an age of information, ignorance is a choice. And the beauty behind learning this valuable information is for us to do something with it. And I think that this is a time in history where it's not enough to know. I think this is a time in history to know how. And when we begin to execute some of these principles in our lives and begin to embody them, it gets exciting because the old model of change has always been about waiting for crisis or trauma or disease or diagnosis or loss or something to break down for a person to finally get serious about the process of change. But because information is so readily available, I mean, I think people are really inspired to see if this is actually the truth. And I think when we take philosophical, scientific, theoretical, analytical, intellectual knowledge and information, and we begin to personalize it or apply it or demonstrate it, we initiate that knowledge. If we do it properly, if we can get our behaviors to match our attention, uh, intentions and our actions equal to our thoughts, we get our mind and body working together, we are going to walk into a new experience. Now, when we learn philosophical information, we make new connections in our brain. But when we experience that philosophical information, the experience enriches the circuits philosophically. And then another part of the brain makes a chemical called a feeling or an emotion. And the moment we begin to feel the emotion, now we are teaching our body chemically to understand what our mind is intellectually understood. So we can say that knowledge is for the mind and experience is for the body. And we're beginning to embody the truth of that philosophy. And it's that process that begins to select and instruct new genes to begin to change the very fabric of our biology. And if we've done it once, it must mean we should be able to do it again. And if we can reproduce the experience over and over again at will, we'll begin to neurochemically condition our mind and body to work as one. And when the mind and body are one, or when the body knows how to do it as well as the mind, now it's innate in us. It's second nature. It's who we are. Uh, we don't have to think about it any more consciously. And as we begin to master uh, that philosophy. So I think our journey in this time in history is to go from philosopher to initiate to master, from knowledge to experience to wisdom, from mind to body to soul, from thinking to doing to being, to learning it with our head, practicing with our hands, and knowing it by heart. And we happen to have all the biological and neurological machinery to do this. And I can tell you without a doubt that common people around the world are doing the uncommon. And that's what's exciting right now. So I think science kind of is the bridge for people because it's inclusive. And I think that people are waking up to the idea that they can learn and change in a state of pain and suffering, or they can learn and change in a state of joy and inspiration. And I'm happy to say that some of us are choosing the latter. 
Mm, I love that. Yeah, thank you. You know, because it reminds me of, of where we're at on the planet and we all have this capacity and I just... I just sit with the hope that as we all learn these principles and practices as a species, we begin to ignite this healing as well on a bigger scale. So let's talk about this healing because you have literally done the research. You're showing, yes, people are having these spontaneous healings. We're learning the mind-body. We're training. We're retraining. We're entraining. And one of the things that you have said that I think is so helpful when we're talking about why this change is difficult sometimes and yet how this change works is you talk about the 60 to 70,000 thoughts we think in one day. And 90% of those thoughts are exactly the same as the day before. To me, that's like incredible to imagine that that's how we get into habits. So talk about that. Why, how do we change and how do we begin to train the body to be in this coherent space with the mind? Well, if you, let's just start off with the premise or the idea, and I'm assuming your audience is kind of uh, uh, in agreement with this idea that somehow that your thoughts have something to do with your destiny. Let's just say that your thoughts create some effect in your life or in your reality. So if you raise your hand to that idea and say, yes, I believe that my thoughts create my future, and you understand that 60 to 70,000 thoughts you think in one day or 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts as the day before, don't expect much change in your life. Because not only does that thought hold its power, but that thought, that same thought will lead to the same choice. The same choice always leads to the same behavior. The same behavior creates the same experience, and the same experience produces the same feeling and the same emotion, and that same emotion drives our very same thoughts. And our biology, our neurocircuitry, our neurochemistry, our hormones, and even our genetic expression are equal to how we think, how we act, and how we feel. And how we think how we act and how we feel is called our personality. And our personality creates our personal reality. That's it. So then if you wanted to create a new personal reality, a new life, you better start thinking about what you've been thinking about and change it. Become aware of your unconscious habits and automatic behaviors and modify them. And look and observe those emotions that you embrace every single day and decide, do these emotions belong in my future? And I think that most people try to create a new personal reality as the same personality, and it doesn't work. We literally have to become someone else. So there's a principle in biology and neuroscience that says that nerve cells that fire together wire together. So if you keep thinking the same way, making the same choices, demonstrating the same behaviors, creating the same experiences that stamp the same networks into the same patterns, all for the familiar feeling or emotion you call yourself, and you're doing that for 10 or 20 or 30 years, and you keep firing and wiring, firing and wiring, you begin to hardwire your brain into a very finite signature. Those hardwired circuits become automatic programs. And so then, by the time we're 35 years old, we become a set of memorized behaviors, emotional reactions, beliefs, perceptions, unconscious habits, attitudes that function just like a subconscious computer program, which means 
95% of who we are by the time we're 35 years old are habits and emotional reactions or emotional addictions. So then the person can think positively all they want with the 5% of their conscious mind, but for the most part, they've done something so many times that their body has become the mind. So then the firing and wiring process and the emotional conditioning in the body over time begins to hardwire the brain into very finite signature. That finite signature becomes our identity. And the emotions that we keep feeding the body, because thoughts are the language of the brain and feelings are the language of the body, the redundancy of that same feeling begins to condition the body to become the mind of that emotion. And so now the person is, for the most part, living in the past because the brain is a record of the past. And feelings and emotions are the end product of past experiences. So if they're thinking the same way and feeling the same way, the repetition of that cycle then creates a state of being that's completely connected to the past. Now, here's the difficulty. The difficulty is, is that when you're feeling certain emotions all day long, your body as the unconscious mind does not know the difference between an actual experience in your life that creates an emotion and an emotion that you can create by thought alone. Your body is believing it's in the same experience 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And if those familiar emotions are driving your thoughts and you can't think greater than how you feel and feelings are a record of the past, then you're thinking in the past. And this is where people get stuck in these loops, keep creating the same life over and over again. So then the process of change, to answer your question, means then if that 95% of you is unconscious, and if you're not in the present moment, you're running a program, then the first step is to become conscious of what you're unconscious to. And because of the size of the frontal lobe, the crowning achievement of the human being, the seat of our conscience, the seat of our awareness, the fact that you can look at the thoughts or think about what you've been thinking about, become aware of how you're acting, notice how you're feeling, means that you have a better chance of changing that. So the moment you become conscious of what you're unconscious of, and you can begin to view those states of mind and body, it means you're no longer the program. You're the consciousness observing the program, and that's when we begin to objectify our subjective self. We begin to pull out of our biology, and that process is the first step to change. The problem is, is that most people, when they understand that they have to change, that the hardest part about change is not making the same choice as we did the day before. When people begin to realize if they say, I'm going to wake up early in the morning and I'm going to, I don't know, do a meditation or I'm going to or organize my computer or I'm going to uh, clean my closet or I'm, at night I'm going to work out after work or I'm going to stop eating certain foods or sugar or whatever, the moment they make that choice, the moment they truly convict to that kind of decision, they are going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel unfamiliar. There's going to be some uncertainty, and it's going to feel unpredictable. So most people, the moment they decide to make a choice and they feel uncomfortable, the body, which has become the mind, starts sending signals back to the brain. And it says, you know, why don't you start tomorrow? This is too hard. You're too much like your mother. It's your ex-husband's fault. And that's the body trying to unseat us. So, then the, so we have a thought, and if we believe that thought to be true, that thought leads to the same choice. The same choice leads to the same behavior. The same behavior creates the same experience. The same experience produces the same emotion. And people say, this feels right. No, that feels familiar. 
So going from the old self to the new self, we have to cross a river. When people understand that that is the biological, the neurological, the chemical, the hormonal, the genetic death of the old self, that living in that void, living in that unknown is the perfect place to create from. And people say, well, I can't predict my future. That means that they'd rather hold on to their guilt than step into the unknown. They'd rather feel unworthy than take a chance in possibility because at least they can predict how they're going to feel. So then when you train people how to become comfortable in that unknown and then ask them, what thoughts do you want to fire and wire in your brain? What behaviors do you want to demonstrate? Rehearse them in your mind. And the act of rehearsing them begins to install the neurological hardware in their brain to look like the event has already occurred. Now the brain's no longer a record of the past. Now it's a map to the future. Now here's the key. And then if you can teach them how to condition their body emotionally, to teach their body emotionally what the future is going to feel like, now this means that they're not going to wait for their healing to feel wholeness. They're not going to wait for the mystical moment to feel awe. They're not going to wait for their success to feel empowered. That's the old model of reality of cause and effect, waiting for something outside of us to change how we feel inside of us. And when we feel better or feel differently inside of us, we pay attention to whoever or whatever caused that. And that event in and of itself is called a memory. But the quantum model of reality is about causing an effect. That means you have to feel wholeness in order for you to feel, in order to be healed. You have to be empowered in order to feel, to create success. You have to be in awe for the mystical moment to occur. You have to be in love with yourself and in love with life in order for you to develop a healthy relationship. So then when you teach people then that they have to condition their body emotionally to a new mind, and the body doesn't know the difference between the experience in their life and the emotion that's created by thought alone, it's that emotion then that begins to select and instruct new genes and those new genes begin to make new proteins, and the body now is changing to, in preparation for a future event. And if people practice that enough times, they will change the very foundation of who they are. Mm. That's a lot. That's a lot just said. And I want to, just before we go to break, I want to bring just a couple of those points and just really ground them and rest in them because uh, uh, several things that you said are important. But one of them is that it's not enough for that 5% of our conscious mind just to have a positive intention, to say, okay, I'm going to change this. So we're talking about this 95% of our unconscious mind, which is our body, that our body is our unconscious mind. And so these habits are there. So thank you for that, because that helps us really understand that it's, it's not enough to just have a new thought or a positive intention to change. And and so that saboteur being our body going, ah, uh, I'd rather go back to the way it was. That is that subconscious programming that is really comfortable with that, with those 70,000 thoughts that it's lived for how many days, for how many years. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that, Joe. I think that in itself is is a really important piece for us to really hear and listen because our listeners do believe our thoughts create a reality. So I want to dig into this more after the break. I think it's really important now to just sink into what you're talking about with this emotion and, and leading with the feeling response as if it already is. Um, but we're going to take a quick break. I want to tell our listeners you can find, we're talking with Dr. Joe Dispenza. And correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, it's dr.joedispenza.com, dr. 
J-O-E-D-I-S-P-E-N-Z-A.com. Dr. Joe Dispenza.com. Correct, right? That's correct. All righty. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, so much more on making our minds matter. We'll be right back. Hey, Larry, mind if I sit down? Nope. This coffee tastes like uh, coffee. So what's going on? Not much. What's new? Not much. Okay, but can you please put the newspaper down while you say not much? What newspaper? This newspaper. Oh, dude, what happened to your face? I see one, two, three, four, five, six. Dude, what is this? Eleven pieces of toilet paper stuck to your face? I'm shaving in the dark to save energy. I'm helping the environment. That's a dangerous way to help the environment. Well, sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Dude, there's an easier and safer way to help the environment without sacrificing yourself. Go green, go public. Take public transportation. It's good for the environment and you won't have to live behind a newspaper. Wow. But for now, put the newspaper back up. A message from the public transportation systems across the country. To learn more, visit publictransportation.org. It's always nice to come home, but these days, many Americans are at risk of foreclosure and losing their homes. Fortunately, help is available. Making Home Affordable is a free program from the U.S. government that has already helped over a million struggling homeowners, and we want to help you. I'm home, I'm home, and I love it, I'm home, I'm home. Find out now what your options are. Go to makinghomeaffordable.gov. Or call 1-888-995-HOPE. The sooner you act, the better chance we can help you. I'm home, I'm home, where I be. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. Have you ever lost a cat? And have you ever wanted to get your cat back after you lost it? Hi there, I'm Andrew Hoffman. I went on this website called inventnow.org. Then I decided to make an invention of my own. It's called the Lost Cat Magnet Invention so you can get your cat back after you lost it. Just turn it on, and lost cats stick to it. That's a good cat. If your cat was hiding up in a tree, it won't be up a tree anymore. It will be stuck to the lost cat magnet, and sometimes they fly toward you in the air. Just listen to one satisfied cat. See, that's proof. You should go to the inventnow.org website too. But just remember one thing. Don't do a lost cat magnet. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Hey, welcome back. If you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and 
even listen to it again, you can visit our website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archives and a listing of upcoming guests. So please share away. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm sure Dr. Joe would love to hear from you as well. You can find him on drjoedispenza.com as well as the Dr. Joe Dispenza official Facebook page. So just look look for that and you'll find him. Dr. Joe, right before the break, you were talking about this healing response and, and the feeling, the emotional. It's like the body and the emotion is just as important in really inciting this change. It's, it's Yes, our thoughts are important, but when we bring it down into the body, we create this shift. And you had said, you can't wait for your healing to feel whole. You can't wait for your abundance to feel wealthy. You can't wait for the mystical moment to feel awe. You you said several things about that. And I'm wondering, what is a practical prescription for our listeners then who are listening and saying, well, you know, yes, I have intentions. I want to change. Okay, how do I feel it? Does that mean I need to sit in meditation every day? Does it mean I have to have an alarm on my watch that reminds me what how can we do this how can we literally apply this to our life to make change well i think it's a great question because that's the question that i've been asked for the last uh, 13 years now over and over again and that's the whole reason we started teaching these workshops and conferences around the world because people want to know the practical application so think about it um you already know how to do this, and everybody already knows how to do this. turns out that intention by itself does absolutely nothing to change us. Intention is just getting clear on what we want. So when you sit down and you say, what do I want, and you truly wait for an answer, the moment you ask that question, you turn on that forebrain or the frontal lobe. That is the human brain's workshop. That's the creative center the CEO, the symphony leader, the boss. The frontal lobe has connections to all other parts of the brain, Julie. So the moment we ask that forebrain question, like what it would be like, or how would I want to be, or what, what do I want, the frontal lobe begins to look out of the landscape of the entire brain. And like a symphony leader, it begins to call up different networks of neurons that are stored in our brain, either from things we've learned intellectually or experienced in our life. And it begins to seamlessly piece them together to create a vision or an image. That, that vision is called intention. And what we're doing is we're selecting a potential in the quantum field. Now, for the truly passionate person, the moment they allow themselves to embrace that vision and allow the thought to become an experience, the end product of an experience is called a feeling or an emotion. So then when they start emotionally embracing their wealth, emotionally embracing the mystical moment, emotionally embracing their their, um, healing and giving gratitude, the moment they do that, they're combining a clear intention with an elevated emotion. And our research has shown over and over again that a clear intention in an elevated emotion changes our biology. Not only does it change our biology, because thoughts are the language of the brain and feelings are the language of the body, and how we think and how we feel creates a state of being. We move from living in the past to 
living in the future, in the present moment, right in that second. But the research has also shown that intention does nothing to change matter. You can take a group of people that are very focused and have very clear intention, and you can ask them to see a DNA in vials, wind and unwind over and over again. And they can practice that with all of their intention, and it does nothing to change the DNA. You can take that same group of people and tell them to create an elevated emotion like kindness or care or gratitude or thankfulness, and they just ask them to broadcast that signature into the field. And you can check that DNA at the end of the experiment, and the elevated emotion does nothing to change the DNA. But when you ask those people to combine that clear intention, seeing the DNA unwind, and give thanks emotionally as if the DNA already unwound ahead of the experience, 25% of the DNA unwinds. Why? Because thought is like the electrical charge in the quantum field, and feelings are like the magnetic charge in the quantum field. And how we think and how we feel broadcast an electromagnetic signature that influences every single atom in our life. So people do this all the time when they get a wild idea, a new possibility, they begin to emotionally embrace it. They come out of their resting state, and the moment they feel that emotion, they're giving their body a taste, a sampling of the future, and they're moving into a new state of being. And so what do most people do when they move into this new state of being? They start writing down the choices they're going to make and the things they're going to do and the goals and experiences that await them and how they're going to feel, and they get clear by creating like a roadmap. But they do something really brilliantly as well. They write down the thoughts they're not going to engage. They become aware of the choices they're going to not, uh, they're going to stay away from. They're going to think about the behaviors they're going to have to change. They become aware of the experiences that bring them back to the past, and they look at the emotions that could bring them to a lower denominator. And it's that process of getting clear on the old self and the new self that begins the process of biological, neurological, hormonal, genetic energetic change that begins to take place. So they review it every single day, every single day, every single day. And they're becoming conscious of their unconscious self and so conscious of it that they'll never go unconscious again. And then they become conscious of a new self and they keep revisiting it. Now, the word meditation, the actual translation of the word, the symbol in Tibetan means to become familiar with. So if you're sitting down with your eyes closed and you're becoming familiar with your unconscious thoughts and you're so conscious of those unconscious thoughts that you wouldn't let them slip by your awareness, you're in the process of meditation. If you're becoming familiar with your automatic habits and propensities and you're observing them and becoming familiar with them, that means you're in a meditation to know thyself. And if you're looking at those emotions and observing those emotions that keep bringing you to a lower level energetically, and you're observing them over and over again, you're going to become familiar with the old self. And if you're firing and wiring new thoughts in your brain, and you're rehearsing who you're going to be mentally, the process of mental rehearsal begins to install the neurological hardware. If you keep repeating it, the neurological hardware becomes a software program. It becomes automatic, and it begins to become familiar to you. And if you're cultivating the emotions ahead of the experience every single day, and you keep doing it over and over again, it's going to become familiar to you. So the process of change 
is unlearning and relearning. It's breaking the habit of the old self and reinventing a new self. It's pruning synaptic connections in neuroscience and sprouting new connections, unfiring and unwiring, refiring and rewiring, unmemorizing emotions that are stored in the body, then reconditioning the body to a new mind and to a new emotion. It's losing your mind and creating a new one. It's pulling your energy emotionally out of the past and setting your energy and emotions into the future. And I think that we do this automatically in times in our lives. And I'm just asking people to make it a skill. Yeah, brilliant. You know, what occurs to me, Joe, is um, the patience that's required in this practice. And there's there's a... Um, a level of surrendering and and trust in this. I I I say this as I'm thinking while you were talking that I'm adding an addition to our home, and I visualized it, and I'm like, oh, it's time to add on. Oh, what are we going to add on? And all of that thinking, just like you were talking, it's like we clarified the intention, and I'm a visionary, so I could see it. So I'm visualizing how it's going to look, what it's going to be, how it's going to serve us. And I'm getting excited and I'm, you know, I'm all into that. And then, you know, we're waiting for contractors, we're waiting for the stages. And as you're talking about the neurological hardware that's being wired and rewired and we're cultivating this experience and this emotion every day, I'm imagining all the steps it takes to build this addition to the house. And, Oftentimes, we get impatient with our body. It's like, oh, well, tried that, didn't make changes, or didn't heal that, or didn't, you know, I didn't change my habits of, of this or that or whatever. So, there's this level of really needing to surrender into this practice and, and like you said, feeling it, experience it as if it is. How, what can you say to inspire our listeners to stay with this. It might be a spontaneous healing in a second, but it might be a healing over time as we're cultivating the emotion and the experience of it. How, what do you say to, to people? Well, I think that um, if you're looking to see if you're healed, you just return back to the old self. The new self would mm. never ask that question. You're too busy being it. And the moment we start analyzing when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen, we've lost the quantum model of reality because we just moved back to the Newtonian principles of predictability. Quantum is unpredictable, so you can't predict when and how it's going to happen. That's the beauty behind the quantum experience because it's going to come in a way that you least expect. If you can expect it, it's nothing new. So teaching people how to stay out of that thought process and analyzing is one of the fundamental keys. But think about this. I mean... It may have taken a person, and I have, I have seen some of the most amazing healings and, and been so inspired by certain people. Those people are my heroes. I'd rather, I'd rather listen to those people than so many academics and scholars and famous people because these people are really uh, embodying the, the living example of truth. And so it may, it may have taken them four years the mismanagement of their energy and lifestyle that created their condition. It may have taken them signaling the wrong genes in the wrong way by living by emotions of survival and stress and knocking their brain and body out of balance consistently. And finally, they kept signaling the gene and the program that 
into a certain disease. And they're smart enough to know that the redundancy of that process really selected, instructed, and down-regulated a gene. And they know that it's going to take them some time to change it. When they get honest with themselves and see that, and, and then they understand what they're doing in the meditation. And they understand that they, have, they can't get up as the same person who sat down. They got to get up as somebody else. And then they have to mo- maintain that modified state of mind and body their entire day. And if they're able to do that, begin to reprogram themselves. And in the beginning, it will take a Herculean effort to overcome their emotions and overcome their habitu- habituations and thought. But if they're able to do it, they'll start noticing small, steady changes in their attitude, small, steady changes in their health, and that's all they need. The moment they start noticing changes that's taking place around them or in their body, they'll pay attention to what they're doing and they'll do it again with more conviction, more belief, more certainty, and a certain, certainly much more intention. So the process of staying present with it and going crossing that river every day uh, and measuring the changes that you're making every few months is enough for people to begin to see how they can do it. And, and then the last thing is, boy, we have so many testimonials of people that were diagnosed with cancer and given the voodoo curse, you know, three months to live and you're not going to live. And, and they didn't accept, believe, and surrender to any of that information. And they crossed that river. And boy, you just have to hear some of these stories, of some of these people, and see that they came up against quite a bit of their own doubt, quite a, quite a bit of their own impatience, but they kept going back to the present moment and really making changes. When you start hearing it from other people, you're more prone to accept, believe, and surrender that it's possible for you. And gosh, it's just a crazy time right now because it seems like every single day we got another great story of somebody who's actually applied it in, in the, in the, across that river. So, I mean, you have to be kind to yourself and be a realist. Um, so many people are so entitled and so uh, conditioned into, um, you know, uh, convenience. Like if it doesn't happen within one day, it doesn't work. Well, the principles work. It's just that the person isn't working. And so when you get down and get real with this and you start really uh, going through it step by step, I think you'll start seeing that um, you are able to do it. And and, um, and we're, we're just seeing it happen over and over again. And so the consciousness is shifting as well. Yeah. Thank you. That's brilliant, Joe. And you also mentioned um, how disease and illness begins is that out of balance consistently and signaling genes. So this opens this conversation. I just want to make sure we can bring this in with our old myths about our genetics and our DNA and this new science, this this quantum field of intelligence that's within all of us is very different than that Newtonian physics that says cause and effects. Well, you have the gene, so you're going to get this disease. Speak a little bit about that, please. Well, that's absolutely not the truth. I mean, it's, it's between 5% and 1% of people on this planet are born with real genetic conditions like uh, you know, early onset juvenile conditions like Tay-Sachs disease or sickle cell anemia or type 1 diabetes. The other 95 to 99% is created from behavior and created from lifestyle. And your body is a protein-producing machine. 
Muscle cells make muscle proteins called actin and myosin. Skin cells make skin proteins called collagen and elastin. Stomach cells make stomach proteins called enzymes. Your immune system or your immune cells make immune proteins called antibodies. Your body is a protein-producing machine. And proteins are responsible for the structure and the function of your body. And so then in order for a gene to be activated, in other words, in order for a cell to make a protein, a gene has to be activated. So then in order for a gene to be activated or regulated, each one of those cells is making a particular type of protein. So they used to say that genes create disease. And then they said, no, we made a mistake. It's the environment that signals the gene that creates disease. And but most people don't realize they're not talking about just the environment outside your body. They're talking about the internal environment within your body, which is still the outer environment of the cell. And so genes are like Christmas tree lights. They upregulate or they turn on and they make healthy proteins or they downregulate and turn off and they make cheaper proteins. And so if you're thinking the same way, making the same choices, demonstrating the same behaviors, creating the same experiences, living by the same emotions, you're keeping the same genes on and the other genes off, and you're headed for a genetic destiny. Now, you haven't done anything wrong. You're just taking too long to make any real significant uh, experiences in your life that will begin to change your genetic expression. So then scientists mapped the human genome. They said, okay, there's 100,000 proteins that make up the body. There's 40,000 proteins called regulatory proteins that help make those proteins. So 140,000 proteins, there should be 140,000 genes. They map the human genome, and there's 23,688 genes that make up a human being. There's more proteins than genes. And that's because in one gene sequence, you can have over 3,000 variations on that gene to begin to produce many different variations of protein. So then person begins to get real and realize that they're their own genetic engineer and that 70% of the time people are living by the hormones of stress and stress is living in survival and no organism can live for an extended period of time in emergency mode and that the long-term effects of the hormones of stress long-term begin to downregulate genes to create disease and you can turn on that very stress response by thinking by your own thoughts thinking about a coworker, thinking about a past experience, worrying about a future, a possible scenario. And just by thought alone, you turn on the same stress response as if you're being chased by a predator. So what was once highly adaptive now becomes very maladaptive. So if you can turn on the stress response just by thought alone, and those chemicals of survival push the genetic buttons that make us sick, then our thoughts literally can make us sick. So the question is, if our thoughts can make us sick, and our thoughts make us well. Now, those chemicals of survival are very addictive. They're, they're, we become junkies to stress because the rush of adrenaline and cortisol gives the brain and body a sense of a, a heightened awareness, a sense of energy for the short term. So then people use the problems and conditions in their life to reaffirm their addiction to some emotion, the bad job, the poor relationship, those tough circumstances. They need them there in order for them to feel alive. So if the chemicals of stress are addictive and you're using the problems in your environment to reaffirm your addiction emotionally, you become addicted to the very life you don't like. <laughs> and if you know those chemicals are addictive and you can turn on the stress response by thought alone, we become addicted to our own thoughts. 
So then it's the mismanagement of our own energy and 75 to 90% of every person that work, walks into a healthcare facility in the Western world walks in because of a stress-related disorder. In uh, the psychological and emotional stress, the key component, then all of a sudden people have to begin to realize that they have to be able to manage their, their, and their emotional reactions and their inner states. And it's not that we react. It's a normal fact of life. The question is, how long are you going to react? And this is where it gets to be tricky because now people then all of a sudden start running those chemicals for an extended period of time. And that's what begins to break down our very genetic health. So your invitation is to return us back to balance and perfect health, homeostasis, our natural state of being. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing because what we've seen in our research is really you live in two states of mind. You either live in survival or you live in creation. And living in survival is living in stress. And mm. when you're in survival, you experience emotions of anger and hostility and frustration and impatience and envy and jealousy and competition and insecurity and guilt and shame and unworthiness and uh, fear and anxiety. All of those are created by the hormones of stress. And Psychology calls those normal human states of consciousness. Those are altered states of consciousness. And those very chemicals then really endorse the ego, and we become selfish. And when we're living in survival, we focus on three things, the body, the environment, and time. You're getting chased by a lion. You better pay attention to your body. You're being chased by a predator. You better be looking in your environment to see where you're going to go. And if you're being chased by a a vicious creature, you better be thinking about how much time you have to get there. So people spend the majority of their life thinking that they're their body, that their environment is their identity, and that uh, they're, they're enslaved to time. But in that creative state, and we've measured this thousands of times, in that elegant moment, that present moment, that creative moment, there, if the person truly is in the process of creation, my definition of creation is that you forget about yourself. You become nobody, no one, no thing, nowhere, in no time. You become pure consciousness. And the moment the identity is vacant, the autonomic nervous system, the giver of life, self-organizing intelligence begins to restore order. And the moment the person becomes nobody, no one, no thing, nowhere, in no time, they leave the realm of the senses of the material and move to the immaterial. They move to the field of possibilities, and they're in the creative state because they're no longer focusing on matter and objects. They're focusing on energy and information and possibility. And it's that shift in attention as, as an awareness, as consciousness, that allows them to merge with the consciousness of the quantum field. And just like the field around the body shrinks when a person's living in survival because they're drawing from that vital field of energy and turning it into chemistry... When they're truly falling in love with their creation and their heart starts to open, the field around their body can be between five and eight feet wide. Now they're more energy than matter. They're more wave than particle. They feel connected to something greater. Their heart gets coherent. We've seen it hundreds of times. Their brain gets more organized and coherent, and now they feel whole. And that, to me, is the natural state of being because we have seen it on brain scans. We've seen it on uh, heart, heart, heart monitors. When people slip into the state... They feel so whole and so complete that it's impossible for them to want. I mean, how can you want when you're whole? Mm -hmm. That is our birthright. And that's the moment the magic happens. They're no longer creating from duality, from polarity. 
they're creating from wholeness. And that's when they feel connected to that unified field. And it's no longer that they have to try, no longer that they have to force it. There's no longer they have to hope or wish. They know. And because they are one with that experience. And we've, we've seen it so many times. And it's uh, that subjective experience is becoming objectified. It's being measured now. And, um, and it's just a kind of a, only something that you can talk around. And that's the creative state that uh, uh, is who we really are. Mm, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And I just want to just presence to the listeners. This is all kinds of healings. This is not just a physical ailment. This is whether it's psychological, emotional, wounding, it's all kind. We, Joe, we just have four minutes left in the show. And I want to give you an opportunity to share with our listeners how they can learn from you and and learn these techniques. I know you have a couple events coming up this fall. There's ways they can um, connect with you online. Can you can you share with our listeners how can they practice this in a greater capacity and learn from you more? Well, um, there's a couple of ways to do it. I mean, I wrote my last two books um, were pretty popular books uh, around the world. The, the last one is called You Are the Placebo, Making Your Mind Matter. The one before it uh, is called um, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, How to Lose Your Mind and Create a New One. Um, those are good fundamental um, books for people to get the knowledge. And then there's practical applications, meditations in both of those books. But for people who really want to dive in deeper, uh, I recommend the progressive workshops. That is an opportunity for people to retreat from their lives for a few days and remove the constant stimulation from their external environment that reminds them of who they think they are as a personality and learn some vital information and then get into the practical application in the progressive workshops, we do at least, we're in and out of meditation all weekend long. You're changing beliefs and perceptions. You're finding the present moments. You're understanding when you're there and when you're not. Uh, you're tuning into potentials that exist in the quantum field. You're reconditioning your body to a new mind and signaling new genes in new ways. You're blessing the energy centers of the body. It's a very full weekend. And if you register for the progressive, we send you the intensive workshop, which is an eight-hour class for free so that you can get a little practice down uh, and understand the language. And so uh, we have an upcoming event in Toronto uh, uh, in August. I think it's August 19th through 21st, uh, and that's at the Marriott downtown. And then we have another one in Philadelphia uh, in the United States, and that's in December from the 9th to the 11th. But, you know, I'm leaving tomorrow for, for um, Hamburg, and then we're in London, and then we're in uh, Amsterdam and then Mexico City and then Puerto Vallarta, you know, where I'm just, we, we have a lot of events around the world that we do. And, and then we have a teleclass that people can register for. That's the last Thursday of every month. And we have a huge global community and first half hour is just me developing concepts and ideas to remind people of what they're doing. And then we open the questions, open the phones up for 40 minutes for, for a and a and that's become a real popular, um, a popular service, but we have all kinds of things, yeah. books and meditations on our website that people can connect to. Beautiful. So I want to remind our listeners, um, we are talking with Dr. Joe Dispenza. His latest book is You Are the Placebo. You can go and learn all about these opportunities, the progressive workshops, and just the monthly gatherings at drjoedispenza.com. That's drjoedispenza with a Z.com. Joe, thank you so much for being with us today and enlightening us. I want all my family and friends to listen to this show. Oh, thank you. 
Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you being here. And I just want to remind our listeners, together we're creating connections for the greater good of the whole. And until next time, I'm sending you a world of love and healing today. Healing. Thank you, Joe Spenza. Thank you, Dr. Julie. You bet.